Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, and uh, we kind of start with the intro to let you know 
We got a lot of hot stuff going on tonight. We're going to be talking NFL. We're going to be going a little bit of fantasy. We're going to be talking about Ray Rice's suspension. We're going to be talking about the Tony Dungy comment. Uh, we might we're going to dibble and dabble a little bit into some fantasy, maybe maybe talk about some of the quarterbacks that we, we like or don't like, or like fool's gold. Training camp is kicked off, so season is here and going. We're going to get into the NBA. There's a lot of great things happening. You know, NBA is now becoming like the NFL. The NFL used to own their offseason. Now the NBA is, ever since the decision, is the NBA is just buzzing in the offseason, all kinds of stuff going on. And Shelly Sterling and the scene in the courtroom where 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 where, where uh, names were being called and decisions come down. Uh, you know, there's going to be a movie made about this. We got some stuff going on in terms of uh, uh, you know MLB and we'll get into melting, but we've got a special guest. You know, one of the things that is great about what we're doing with this show is that we can give insight to all aspects of sports, and you know, we all have been pretty um, uh, forward about our interest in all levels of collegiate athletics and, and real emphasis on Division three and. All of us, uh, if you've been a long-time listener, understand that our origin and connection comes from a small college in Beloit, uh, Wisconsin, Beloit College. And um, one of the great things about uh, what we can do is share some insight into who we are by, you know, sometimes bringing some of our Beloit roots in. And so we'll have Seth Dora, who is the new coach of Beloit College, will be on with us tonight. And, you know, really kind of giving you a perspective. We're hearing a lot of this stuff, uh, what's happening with the Big Five and Division One, and, you know, a lot of stuff that are going on. But there are a whole bunch of athletes who are competing every day without uh, without the guarantee of ever making it to the league. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a longtime lifer as it relates to small college football and um, uh, was a uh, great um, uh, player himself um, in college, and we'll learn more about his, his pathway. And so we look forward to that interview. But, you know, it'd be hard pressed to set the stage without having my guy. Um, he kind of like my my stability. You know, uh, sometimes when you hit the court, you got to know that guy that you always know. You ain't never got to ask whether or not he's gonna show up and put his minutes in. You almost you know the cat only that you just put his in the box score. You already can put twenty five and ten. You know, he's like the big fundamental. Uh, and so y'all know that when y'all listen, he always brings it consistently. So we got my man Phil, PhD. How you doing, baby? I'm doing good, my man, D-Wills. A few weeks ago, I sat here and I dogged the James Brown movie, so I've been, I've been overcome and overwhelmed with text messages and emails and Facebook uh, messages. <laughs> one, of my, one of my good friends, D.G., he... He went on Fandango. He, he he took the initiative. He went on Fandango and emailed me some tickets to the local theater in my area. So I will be watching that movie. Uh, I have a built-in date night. So I, you know, I mentioned to you all a few weeks ago. I'm gonna go see it. I was skeptical, but I'm gonna go see it. But that's that's what I'm sitting on right now. James Brown. <laughs> it is hilarious. Now that's a friend. He's not gonna criticize mm-hmm. you. What he's gonna say is, I'm gonna take away all your excuses. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a ticket. I'm you don't tell me you can't you can't afford it, you ain't got time. I'm I'm gonna take care of it. All you gotta do is show up. That's a friend. That's right. <laughs> and 
And he let me know that he knows when that ticket has been redeemed. He can go on the website mm. and see when it's been redeemed. So uh, he, is, he is going to hold me accountable. So you're officially on the clock. That's what you're saying. I am. I am. So we can expect a report back from you on uh, uh, the movie and what you've learned about James Brown's contribution historically to Godfather. So you understand why he is the Godfather, and you'll get a sense of that, why why a lot of the, these beats originally in the early days were break beats off of James Brown stuff. You know, you'll get a sense of all that. That'll be good. We all we all have those those blind spots. Uh, what I love about you is that you're not afraid to explore those blind spots. And so it'll be good for you to to breathe easy, to take that on, to to do what's necessary to expand your mind. But if you come back with some craziness, they don't definitely get on you. You can't just say something about I've learned to keep my I've learned to keep my opinions to myself when it comes to James Brown. So I will uh and unless I absolutely love it, I will simply not mention it. <laughs> oh, well man, it's been a fascinating weekend in a lot of different things, man. And um I guess I want to open up. You know, we 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 gonna go a little open here. You know, the Ray Rice thing is taking on a different life. You know, so they come down with the decision. Um, obviously, there's a lot of criticism of Goodell with the link of suspension. Ray Rice goes to training camp and he gets a standing ovation. There's a lot of dynamics here with this. You know, and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what do you, you know, what do you take from this, and in, in, um, in terms of the NFL, when you know they've been given longer suspensions for um, for other things, and he gets a two two game suspension plus the third game game check, um, and um, and what that means to, um, you know what we all are concerned about when it comes to domestic violence. And um, it's, and you know, we, if you listen to RSG, we've called Roger Goodell. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's the perennial line stepper. Right. <laughs> we said habitual. that. We point it. Habitual. Line stepper. You know, he's the one that's, uh, that's, 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 that's often been, you know, we've been as critical about it. Phil, what was your, what was your reaction to all the reactions around this? I mean, you know, how did you how did you see this? Where did you where did you fit as you were seeing everybody's reaction to this to the, the suspension? Well, it's been a heartbreaking situation to just observe it over the last few months, and the talk that has spurred since the suspension was handed down. I feel like it takes away from the issue. It takes away mm-hmm. from in between Ray Rice and his wife um, and, and just the issue and the conversation around domestic violence. I think when we started focusing in on did he get enough punishment, did he get too much, did he not get enough, it takes the conversation away from 
um, domestic violence and what like what such a big issue it is in this country. Mm. And you know when when it initially happened, one one of the the positives that came out of this situation, uh, you know, when the stories first broke a few months ago, was that there was more talk about domestic violence, um, how to report it, you know, what are the the outcomes related to it. A lot of ball players stepped up and you know and talked about you know them growing up around it and what, how that's influenced their families and their lives. And you know, one of the most powerful things I heard was. Uh, was from Dwayne Wade, and he mentioned that he had saw some of that, you know, growing up, and and he knew that he, you know, he made a decision right then and there that wouldn't be him. Mm-hmm. And when you hear stories like that, and you hear athletes who are that that have the floor to talk about those types of things, I think it really brings a positive and a really really bad and nasty situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you heard people on. Mike and Mike, you heard uh, the Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Jackson uh, story, a uh, show talking about, you know, websites and, and ways people can get help. And unfortunately, now the story has shifted towards Goodell and suspension. And to me, it just takes away from the story. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I mean, the you know, um, you know, how do you how do you create situations where this does not happen at all, where you're not even having to deal with a suspension? And what is it behind it? What's happening behind it? And I think, you know, and, again, how do you get support when it's happening? Um, and it's fun, oh, you know, even to the fact that, you know, um, much of, of his decision had a lot to do with, um, uh, you know, how Ray Rice's uh, wife, you know, you know her remarks during their meeting, but we don't know what was said. You know, and right. um, in that, but you know, even how it's portraying whether or not she was, you know, um, deflecting it or not. I mean, she could have been very straight up honest. You know, if he doesn't again, I'm gonna. I mean, we don't know what was said in that space. But again, everybody's dissecting every aspect of that um, and taking away from the overall issue. Uh, of uh, like you said, like people like Dwayne, like there's a number of folks growing up have been witnesses to that directly, and as kids understood the impact of it. Um, and those messages, I think, are very important for a lot of folks, and particularly young folks coming up. And so, yeah, we are missing a, 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 an important opportunity uh, with this. Um, and and then uh, for Ray Rice, you know, what's the what's the road back? Right, you know, so what's your road back, and how do you start walking that? Um, you know, that's that's yet to be yet to be seen um, here. So, you know, it's something that's going to be we're going to have to watch and pay attention to. You know, I think it's one of those things that um, has been a part of sports that, you know, unfortunately, you had too many cases and interactions in this, and it's something that you know, we're going to have to continue to pay attention to um, because, you know, you know, we can talk about role models or not, but these are visible individuals. And um, if this is seen as an acceptable behavior, you know, young cats um, are looking at how this stuff is being handled. 
Um, and we hear a lot of this stuff happening on college campuses. Um, there's a lot, you know, that's happening around us. So, I, I do, you know, we need to really pay attention to these issues and, um, and not get caught up in some of the other politics that are uh, around it and not lose the real source of the issue. So I think you hit some points right on head. In that same vein, we have someone like Tony Dungy, who, you know, who I, you know, I think we've all talked about in glowing terms um, uh, about it. Um, you know, making some remarks around uh, regarding uh, Sam, um, regarding the distraction, um, and in many people's belief, anytime you're talking about distraction, distraction, you know, that's the cold word for being for being homophobic. Right. It's not. So what is the distraction? Right. And he caught um, a lot of heat for those remarks. Also, given some of the remarks he said in the past, you know, given some of his beliefs. Um, how did you react? I know you're the kind of person that, you know, knowing you, you know, in how you um, probably view Tony, um, like I did. I mean, we, and I still do, um, as someone that we, we know has been a really good role model for a lot of players and been someone who's groomed coaches. Um, what did you, what was your reaction when you heard those remarks and um, how did you react? Well, I think what Tony Dungy said is what a lot of NFL franchises feel mm-hmm. and their actions support that. You have a guy who was the MVP, the defensive MVP in the SEC and he was taken in the seventh round, late in the seventh round. So so I think a lot of NFL teams are saying exactly, their actions are supporting exactly what Dungy said. Now, Dungy's statements, I don't necessarily agree with him, but he was asked, would he keep him on his team? And he answered it honestly. And I think in the media sometimes we want... We want somebody to be honest, but we want them to be honest in a politically correct way. He was clearly mm-hmm. stating his opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Game Changer said it a couple of months ago when the whole story hit regarding Sam's. You know, he's not a distraction. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, his sexual orientation should not be a distraction in the locker room. And it probably will not be. You know, what, like what he does is his spare time is what he does. So, um, I, I don't like the term distraction in this context. I don't. But I also get Dungy's statements, and he was clearly speaking um, from a past coach, like from a coach's perspective in terms of what he want to see on his team or not want to see. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think you have, I mean, can we have a dialogue, right? So part of advancement is having discourse. The way the media, the way everything is shaped right now, you can't really have real conversations where you're going to have some clear, <clears throat> clear disagreements, right? And I think that's part of if you're going to have growth, how do you have discourse, public eye? That's a tough thing to do today because everything has its angle and its slant. So, you know, I think, you know, you know, Gangers, like you said, had to, he said it right. You know, how can this be a distraction? I mean, we've had we've had NFL athletes doing, you know, even look, look at what you're talking about with Rice. 
that's a distraction, right? But you're not going to cut Bray Rice, are you? Right. You know, so so you know, it, it, you, you know, when we talk about you know um, distractions and how we categorize them, um, you know, this whole thing is something you heard, you heard with uh, Josh Gordon in your neighborhood. You know, now he and he yeah, it was contact. Now, he's been a distraction, but it was secondary contact now. So now they find every way in the world trying to figure out how to get him on the field out of a year's suspension on something on someone who has clearly been a distraction, right, based yeah. on it. So people's ability to, to have stomach distractions change, don't they? And so it's like, you know, this is where you get that slippery slope, and I think – for Dungy, one thing I would have said is he got to qualify that. Like, he got to be able to say what that means, right? Because the NFL is clearly, let's say Josh Gordon's case, figured out, at least in the Cleveland Browns case, have figured out they can stomach a lot. Would you agree? I mean, absolutely. at a high level, huh? I said absolutely. I mean, they have <laughs> whatever it is that he's doing, they figured out they can deal with whatever it is. And if it wasn't for them to spend it for, what is it, a year now? You know, if they were spending for six games, he would have been back in playing, they wouldn't have cut him. Or they wouldn't cut him. They would try to find a way. They're still trying to find a way to work it out, right? So, you know, I think I think where he runs up against it, as you said, like the NFL runs up against it, is that there's too many other things that tell us that it's something else, right? You said – you know, he would, and I've been saying that everybody, you know, everybody try to break down this, this and that. But if you, if you defense a player of the year in the SEC, I don't care how you break it down. You can say, well, his hips are too tight, and he, he got lateral movement. That person <laughs> gets drafted much higher than the seventh round, right? I mean, any other circumstance, you know, we all admit that that person gets drafted much higher. If you play, if you defense a player of the year in the SEC, you, you, you're going to get drafted higher. So you're right. A lot of folks spoke, but, you know, the, the ability to stomach a distraction obviously varies because people like Josh Gordon seem to get all kinds of chances to do stuff on teams that haven't won anything. And we don't say anything. Yeah. We don't talk about the distraction that he is. And so you yeah, you're right. I mean, I think NFL has got some issues in it. Huh? A distraction is a guy who doesn't show up for practice. A distraction is a guy who disrupts the locker room. <laughs> you know, those are distractions Yes. that affect a football team. You know, when you think about it historically, Jackie Robinson, he was considered a distraction. You know? Yes. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm a fan of diversity in a lot of different ways, not yes. just racial diversity, but diversity in thought diversity in attitudes, uh, diversity all across the board, I think, makes groups stronger. And it doesn't mean it doesn't make it more challenging, but I think it makes groups stronger. And when you have the right leaders in the right situation, you know, they can make situations much more difficult and much more challenging than what we're talking about here in terms of football locker room. But just in an organizational setting, you see leaders lay down the foundation to make all kind of diverse groups work. And so, you know, 
the football locker room and sports locker rooms in general, I mean, <laughs> be a challenge, but that doesn't mean that it's right to exclude somebody. Um, so I, I think given the right situation and everything that I know and have read about Jeff Fisher, he's a right leader in the situation. So um, I'm, I'm really optimistic. I really am. Yeah, and I, I think at the end of the day, he's going to make a football decision, right? You know, um, and I think for, for Michael, I think that's what he wants. And he'll know when it's a football decision um, from the from the way in which he's treated and the opportunities he's given to perform, opportunities he's given to make plays, opportunities that he's what the, the uh, what we say the eye in the sky don't lie. The eye in the sky don't lie. Were you were you supposed to be when you were supposed to be there? Were you there quick enough? There's things that for people who play football long enough, we know who can play, right? You know, you play sports, man. You had a sense of when a cat could play right away, right? You could saw it. You, you could see when he was there in the right place, right time, how much he studied, how much he did. So there are things that there's, – there's ways to evaluate from a football standpoint, is it somebody who's going to help you do what you need to do? Um, and I think for him, for Michael, I think what he said is, do I get a full and honest chance at it? That's it. He ain't asking for a guarantee to make the team. I don't think if you ask him directly, that's what he's asking for. There are certain people who are demanding it, but I don't think he's been playing football a long time. He knows that he knows when he's producing and when he's not. And, you know, he'll know whether or not it's a football decision. So I, I think, you know, Jeff Fisher is the right leader because you know he's going to make it on a football decision. Can you help the team? And, you know, people who've been around the sport, you can tell. You know, um, so I think those are some things that, Hopefully it'll be about rather than the speculation about whether or not he'll get a fair shot to do whatever he needs to do. Boy, Goodell is in the middle of everything, isn't he? He just got to you know, <laughs> It's just he's in the middle of stuff he's not supposed to be in the middle of. <laughs> how, how do you – I'm going to ask this question while we're here because, you know, this is the biggest criticism. You can't track his decisions. Like, you, this is what you do. Like, you look at this stuff every day. You do research on this. His decision-making, right, and his patterns and his justifications don't line up. Is that – would you say that? Do you, does it look like there's a rubric he's using to really align his decision-making around some of these issues and – how things happen. It just seems like in all this stuff, it's just like the NFL is in a lot of stuff, but Goodell is part of that stuff um, because it, it, you can't follow his reason or rationale on a lot of different things. And it just feels like it's, I don't know, maybe I'm jumping to some, but, but does it look like he, he's consistent? Have you seen him as a consistent person? Maybe I'm missing something. I, I think that – Early on, he may have made – I think early on, he may have been trying to make an impression and a splash of, hey, I'm a different type of commissioner, and I really want to clean up the perception of of the athletes in this game. You know, so I'm going to hold you all accountable and to a higher standard. So perhaps when he initially came in, you know, a few years ago, maybe he was a little bit heavy with the stick, but – I think clearly, clearly overall, his decisions have been sound 
and I think mm-hmm. they have they have accomplished the, the primary goal I think he had was to clean up the perception of his product, which mm-hmm. is the NFL. So I have no problems with, with strong leadership. I as long as it's fair and it's consistent and in these situations, you're really comparing apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. And you're comparing, you know, when he comes in to, to discipline these, these athletes who, for most, in most situations, have made very poor decisions. Um, even if they're snapshots of who they are and who they have been in the public eye as athletes, they've made poor decisions. They have to be held accountable to them. So... I've had no problem. I mean, some of his decisions, I wouldn't have done them that way, but in regards to what he has done, I've had no problem with it. I really haven't. It seems like, you know, a lot of people are comparing the Michael Vick situation versus the Wright situation, and, you know, the NFL office put out a statement in terms of, you know, legal issues and who was charged this, and Michael Vick had jail time and so forth, and, even the situation with with Stallworth, um, those explanations, they work for me. They do. Um, I think at the end of the day, players are being held accountable for stuff that that they're doing off the field. And the old NFL, that may or may not have happened. So I'm glad that there has been some penalties. And I was trying to figure that out, but I'm not – and this is part of what I think is more perception than reality, because I'm not sure if the police – you know, whatever it was, you know, the blogger, blogger, whatever it is, I don't up the timer or whatever you call it. I'm not sure if it's any less than it was before. Is it? I don't know if we have evidence that the number of athletes, NFL athletes' involvement in those activities have gone down under Goodell. I'm not sure. There's nothing I'm seeing that says he's deterring anything. I, maybe I'm missing something, but it doesn't seem like. And maybe that might be something for me to look into, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it feels like it's like I, I see this, I see this 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 kind of branding and this of toughness, but I don't know if these incidents are that any less now than they were before. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So, I'm not sure if they were any less, but the thing that you have now is that the NFL is stepping in, regardless of what happens in the legal system. Players. It, if they're serving time or if they, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. They're being held mm-hmm. accountable to a higher standard. When you look back to the Ray Lewis situation, you know, back in 1999 or 2000, whenever that was, um, I don't believe that he got suspended. Um, clearly he played that year. He won the Super Bowl and was an MVP, but um, I don't believe that he got suspended even though, um, he got 12 months of probation. Um, mm-hmm. He got a fine by the NFL, but he didn't miss any time. He played mm-hmm. a quarter a quarter million dollar fine by the NFL. And I think had the same thing happened um, today with Roger Goodell being the commissioner, um, may I mean there may or may not be a fine, but he would miss time where it's impacting. Um, in terms of his salary, but also the team as well. Mm-hmm. So right now, I think with Goodell, Goodell is hurting. He's just not hurting the players financially. 
he's hurting the team and the organization, especially in the NFL where you lose one game, that can make a difference between making the playoffs or not, having home field advantage or not, um, being 7 or 9 versus 6 and 10, and that could send a whole staff <laughs> to be fired. This is really impacting the entire organization from a personnel side. Mm-hmm. So I I like the shift of accountability because now it's linked into not just the players' pockets and reputation, but it's impacting the organization. And so now the organization, you know, has more of an incentive to really drill this home with the players as well. And, and, and uh, you, I mean, in that part, you, I mean, this is why you do what you do, and I, I, I love hearing you talk about this. You know, that's, you know, as we, as you write, you framed it, is the, the habitual line stepper is he's, he, what he's, he's created a, a systematic way to put pressure on teams to then put pressure on players. Like, at the end of the day, the one thing that affects any player at any level that they pay attention to is playing time, right? Even though you can yeah. say there's a time that you really – you need people in the field to have an impact. And like you said, when you only have a, a, a very high number of games to prove um, whether or not you're ready to go to that next level, any game you lose means a lot. And that that part you – know, and over time, that is a deterrent because that might shape the way people – uh, view whether or not they want to resign you, whether or not they want to, you know, give you uh, that deal or whatever. Because if you can't be available, what can you, what can you do for us? Because availability is something that's important for us. And anytime you're not available, that hurts us, and that hurts you at the negotiating table as well. So it may not impact you now, but it's going to be a residual effect to that because you know that that's going to happen every time you do something wrong. So that could be part of it. Um, you know, the NFL, you know, they're, the Shield, they're, you know, they're strong, you know, but it, it's interesting. They seem like they're taking a little bit of nibbles and hits around the edges here uh, here lately. We're going to stay in this news since we, since we I feel like, I, I feel like we got this, um, uh, uh, this kind of Hollywood uh, news flow going and incidents and, while the energy's right, I'm going to stay right in this round. Now, I don't know how much you had a chance to pay attention to the uh, what was happening with Donald and Shelley Sterling. Now, I was listening to this while I was driving, and I guess he was call, he called her a, a pig, I think, in the in the courtroom and went off and did some things. <laughs> you know, Donald's gone to another level, but but the court system ruled that he can't get in the way of the cell. And so she can move forward with the deal. They anticipate that the deal will probably get made sometime in August. Concluded, Balmer and the, that group will be able to take over the Clippers. What do you make of this, man? I mean, you, 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 your background and you, you got some training in this. I mean, you, you can give us some professional insight <laughs> into what you're seeing. This is a man, This is a thirty for thirty, man. We already. If if you were to uh, I'm not there. if you had, if you were to give this a title, I don't know what you would give it, but you know this is already a thirty for thirty. You know they're already making tapes for this one. They already got the stuff. <laughs> but, but 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 what? I mean, what do you make of this, man? I don't know. It's a mess. This is this is something that I hope does not become a trend in sports. 
But this is a very, very unique situation. I mean, you, you think about what happened with the Dodgers a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. My husband, you know, when the organization got stuck in a really nasty um, divorce settlement or situation. But, I mean, this is even more unique than that because you've got, you know, competency coming into play. Um, you've got a sale of a team coming into play. And then clearly mm-hmm. you have the huge PR gaff that was Donald Sterling a few months ago. And on top of that, you have some really big players, um, fairly speaking, in terms of people like Chris Paul and just top players across the league saying, hinting that this may be a league-wide issue if he's still in play is, as far as being the legal owner of the team by the time the season starts. You have people, you know, like, Doc Rivers, who's the current coach and also the VP of basketball operations, you know, he has one of the top voices in the league. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of respect that wants the players, uh, clearly he's a minority. And I think for all these reasons, plus it's the right thing to do to protect the brand, the NBA has been all about trying to get the team out, out of Sterling's hands. And this this guy's not going to go down. And when I saw the ruling, the ruling pretty much is saying that uh, Shelly Sterling has legal right to sell the team and that the team, you know, for the $2 billion can be sold to Ballmer. Um, but, and if they can do this before Sterling has his appeals, but he still has the right to make appeals. So <laughs> part of it is kind of it kind of it's kind of a head scratcher. Be good to have RJ on to talk about it to get his legal yeah. expertise with it. But you know that's where I was a little bit confused. And the writer of the article that I read, he was confused too, or I shouldn't say he, whoever wrote it, they were confused too because it's like okay, we have a resolution, but not really. And how messy would this be a year and a half down the road if somebody ruled that the team was was you know shouldn't have been sold because Sterling didn't give his consent? What a mess that'll be! You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like Bomber's gonna need Lloyd uh, uh, Lloyd's of London insurance, you know, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, this is messy. This is messy, man. This is messy, 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 messy. But I will say Adam Silver came out smelling like roses because he was, he was definite and he, he was strong and he made the decisions he needed to make. And so I think from a, from a good faith standpoint, the NBA has seemed to do everything that they could do. And the Clippers, in terms of the Sterling family, have tried to get rid of the team too. And so if I'm a player in the NBA and this thing, for whatever reason, still drags on, you know, I, I'm not sure if I if – I, if I would have an issue enough with it not to play because the good faith actions have been taken. 
and you understand yeah. with legal stuff, sometimes it takes longer. Yeah, and, and I mean, you hit this. I mean, and the thing about it, the part that people don't understand is there's motivation for his attorneys because these cats, see, this is a cash cow for them for the next 10 years. Like, this is the biggest <laughs> case. You could put 20 lawyers on this and Bill on this. You don't care if you ever win as long as you can find enough dirt to keep it going. I mean, people are discounting that motivation. It has nothing to do with him, right? Because if you're if, if you're the attorney for the, I mean, you are building on this on on a on a major level. And I think people are, you know, everybody's talking about his motivation, but think about his attorney's motivation when you think about it from a business standpoint. Um, you know, and I thought about that last night. I mean, if you if you're that group, you're like, I'm keeping this going. I mean, this yeah. is how we can be on this for the next 15 years, you know, uh, because his estate will be suing. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it's that motivation, you know, to not let the case go because the money's too good. I mean, I don't hear anybody say anything about that, but that's, that adds to the mix, right? So you're not going to let this die? Think about that. What, what do you think the billions dollars are on that? It, it's It's... That's going to be sick. But the stuff he said in there, they said he called her name. And then, did, he, did he say, I love you? I said, I love you. Then call her name? I mean, when you have money, you want to say in the question. I was just like, well, the billionaire lifestyle just allows you. And you can be frustrated, but you get a billion dollars. Yeah. Like, think about that. Like, out of all the frustration he's got, he gets to walk away a billion dollars before taxes, but still pretty good money, right? I mean, it's just a world that, I mean, we can't even imagine uh, all together. I mean, that's uh, that's that's amazing. But you're right. I mean, if they find the right loophole or something happens and this cell goes through, oh, my goodness, that's a mess for you uh, all together. Yeah. If it's going to happen, he, he's the one person who can make it happen because he's done it in his life. You know, if there is a loophole to be found, he will find it, uh, or his people yeah. will find it. So um, it's amazing. Um, but the underbelly, I think you, you hit on right on the head, is that that's not being written about as much is the shifting of the power of players and how they organize in their understanding of their power in their relationship right. to corporate America um, and who they represent and how they organize around that in a way that's not official part of a union, right? That piece, you know, you know, you always have these watershed moments in sports in terms of these dynamics. You know, that aspect of this is going to be written about, you know, 10 years from now, you know, in terms of the role in the way players used their brand to influence this. That – that's something to unpack. You know, like you said, right. Chris Paul, the way they're organizing, the role of social media and the way they can connect and all these different things that they use to put this slight pressure um, mm-hmm. on the NBA to act um, and, you know, overt and covert. Um, and, and this unity between – because Doc Rivers is also an ex-player, right? So right. you know, he's a former NBA player. 
so that you know, Kevin Johnson, former NBA player. So even that 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 fraternity that exists um, within uh, that group that is kind of working together is something that I think is uh, is is, yeah. is pretty interesting. So these are some things, boy. We 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 hit we hit some hot topics here. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, brought to you by XL Academics, On the Rocks, our good friends at uh, Resistance Digital Solutions, and Frederick Accounting. As I said before, our guests and hosts come to you via the Frederick Accounting Gateway. It's, it's been good. If you want to follow us, we're, uh, catch us on realsportsguys.com. You can hit us up on Twitter, uh, hit us up on Tumblr, uh, you can get on Facebook if that's whatever your choice is, and we can keep the conversation going. You can also uh, connect and support our sponsors there at, uh, again, uh, realsportsguys.com. We, we always appreciate it. And we're all on iTunes. You know, we have a lot of people who get back at us that they, they like the podcast, they like to be able to listen when they're on their way to work or at night or working out. So know that you can do that. You listen in with uh, Phil T. and uh, D. Wilson here. Um, we're excited, and at the bottom of the hour we'll have uh, – uh, Coach uh, Seth Dewar uh, from Beloit College, as many of you who have been following us for a long time know that um, our common connection of the folks here on the Real Sports Guy on the main and the Mothership show is that, you know, that's where we all have our, our connection. And we'd like to give you some insight into, you know, uh, a place that kind of uh, shaped our own uh, development and growth and to have someone like Coach Dewar on who is uh, beginning his tenure as a football coach and, and also our, our support for uh, small college football and small college sports. So, uh, we're looking forward to that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, again, realsportsguys.com is where you can catch us. So we're going to transition a little bit here um, and, and really get a little bit more NBA talk um, before we have Coach on. But, um, you know, we get a lot of uh, reports on uh, on our man Derrick Rose. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to Derrick Rose coming back. It, it's hurt my heart because I, I love Derrick Rose. I'm not a big Bulls fan, but I, I, I liked Rose when he was in college. I just like the way he plays. He plays hard. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I've been rooting for him because uh, of that. And um, it, it feels like he's he's coming back with we got both – always got both fingers crossed, uh, everything. But if he comes back with any kind of – any close to – you know, anywhere close to where uh, he was originally, you know, given some of the moves they made with Gasol coming on board and just – the team. I mean, where do you see the Bulls um, going with that? And, and how do you feel about what you've heard about Rose coming back? Well, there's a lot of potential there. I mean, Derrick Rose was <laughs> he's the reason why LeBron didn't get three straight MVPs. You know, I I still contend he he should have had that MVP, but he didn't get it. And but but that that speaks to how good how talented Derrick Rose was or is or was before the injury. And <laughs> think about it. LeBron James has been one of the most dominated players over the last four years. There's been very few players. I mean, you probably can't list ten players who have had as dominating of a four-year stretch as he's had. And Derrick Rose won one of those MVPs. So mm-hmm. I think whatever – Whenever you can have a player or add a player to the mix of that caliber, the Bulls have the potential of being excellent. Now, 
they got rid of Dang. They moved him to Cleveland last year. But I really like the guys they have to replace him. Jimmy Butler, he can play the two or three position. Excellent spot-up shooter. He's developing to be an excellent defender. And then this kid, Snell, who I believe is going into his second year, he played really yeah. well in summer league this year. Oh, my and goodness. So, he was going off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the game changer would be proud. He would be very, very proud knowing that I watch enough summer league to know that. Uh, it's unfortunate he's uh, not here quite yet to hear that. But So I think they have great potential. Call me call me crazy, but I think Boozer still has something in the tank. And they were able to keep Gibson. And they got Gasol. And Gasol still has a lot to prove. I like this team. And I think Noah is a glue guy. He's a guy that will give you 15 and 10, 16 and 12, and he brings a certain level of toughness that meshes with Thibodeau's system. So when you have a guy, <laughs> their offense has been kind of anemic, man. They picked up McDermott, and they are bringing one of the top talents back, offensive talents in the league. So I've been rooting for Derek Lee for so long, so I really do hope that he's able to come back and be healthy. And I think the one update on that, and I know with Boozer, I mean, they, they amnestied him um, to be picked up. Oh, that's right. LA, that's right. But he, but I still think that clears up because you think about people like Taj and some of these other players, I think um, the rotation, I think, is going to be better because of that. I mean, I think there's some people, you know, they had to play Boozer those three quarters, you know, they didn't play him in the fourth quarter. But that, I think that's hoping <laughs> in there. Yeah, the highest paid non fourth quarter player in the league. Um <laughs> you know, and they had to they had to figure out how to how to I think the rotation is gonna be much smoother with with Thibodeau being able to play some of those other pieces. Uh but you know, like you said, like Snell uh, um you know, you could open it up a lot. Now you got some minutes for these young guys. Um who probably their minutes may have been cut by five to ten minutes because of the rotation you have. And then, you know, I think the other thing about it is, you know, Paul Gasol is a much better passer. So now you got great more involvement of players. Um, and also take some pressure off of, I mean, between Noah and Gasol, and Noah turned into a great running of offense through him, you know, having big men who can pass can also take some pressure off of um, Derek actually having to be a creator all the time. So, I, you know, I think right. – you know, the question is who's going to be the the person who is going to help orchestrate and develop the offense. I'm not sure who they've hired on that side. Because, you know, Tim's got the defense down. But, you know, if he can do – if he can get someone for offense the way Doc had him for defense, right, <laughs> and just kind of let that go um, and really utilize these parts, uh, he's going to be good. But you're right, this, this is going to be a tough team to compete with every night in and night out. Uh, in in the in the east, and so uh, I'm feeling good about it. You you you're over there in Cleveland, and and, and living all that. What was your opinion about this whole Jersey 23 and six and all the stuff around LeBron? I, I don't care. care but you don't really care about. It. I love it. <laughs> I, I heard people talking about. I'm like, why? Who cares about his jersey? I mean, yeah. But what he's doing? What he's supposed to do? You know, he let the fans do a thing and. Everything LeBron is getting getting overanalyzed right now. 
uh, you know, uh, what we need to do is just watch him play at that point. But you say you don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. I, I heard about it. And, and for a bit, I thought it'd be kind of cool that, you know, say if he wore number six or a mm-hmm. different number other than 23, it'd be cool, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago uh, from now. Like, we'll know kind of like before Miami and after Miami, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. BM, you know, before Miami and AM after Miami okay. from the clips. Now with the 23, you're not really going to be able to tell the difference. Um mm-hmm. Unless, you know, when he was a rookie and he wasn't as bulked up as he is now and clearly more of a baby face. But um, other than that, I didn't give it any thought. I just think LeBron's on a thing right now where he's he, he's loved by many and, you know, he's milking it for all his worth. And I can't say I blame him. Yeah, he's doing his thing. I mean, that he's, you know, he is a, a, a marketing uh, uh Guru and um, uh, you know he's someone that um, uh, that understands the game and I, you know I think there are things he's doing right now that I think as people look back in five and ten years in terms of how he built his brand and how he baked that into what he's doing in terms of his sports you know you very few people have that leverage that he has but there's some things that he's doing that you know, when people look back on where are going to be game changing from a marketing standpoint. So, um, right. you know, he's a smart guy, you know, and so um, I appreciate it. I, I love watching people get a little uh, stressed out and egged up about it because, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, just, it adds to the fire. I think people are just bored. But it does tell you how much the NBA is, offseason is, 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 has changed in so much uh, yeah, in that talk. So, Life has been tough, man. It's been good. Are there any other things, you know, we in this we in this uh space right now. You know, as you you think about it, you you've been you've been, you know, looking at your last couple of weeks, you've been kinda mulling over sports. Are there are there other things that kinda that you kinda been keeping your eye on? That kinda been the filthy, like, you know what, this thing I've been watching this. Is there anything that's been out there that you've been keeping your eye on? Well, I know we're two weeks late, but the All-Star game was pretty cool this year with all yeah. the attention paid, uh, the well-deserved attention paid to Derek Jeter. Uh, clearly, being from Kalamazoo, I've, I've had a special eye on Jeter's career, um, his entire career. So, and, you know, I thought it was awesome, just the attention. That Respect commercial by the Jordan brand, that was, that was a sweet commercial. That put me back in the days uh, when we loved – um, you know, at least my family, we love watching the the NBA All Star Game, and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the the Major League Baseball All Star Game, and it was, I mean, it was a uh, an event. I remember back when Bo mm-hmm. Jackson was playing, and you know, you watch the game, but you also watch the commercials because what about the commercials regarding Bo knows this, Bo knows that, yep. just do it. You know, you were always mm-hmm. going to see a new Nike commercial, a Bo Jackson commercial during the All-Star game. And so mm-hmm. this was one of the first baseball All-Star games I sat down and watched in probably five or ten years. And I thought it was just done first class. I mean, baseball has always had a great job of, done a great job of honoring their legends. I think back when 
Ted Williams was around uh, back in that All-Star game 10 or 15 years ago in Boston and how they had mm-hmm. all the legends come out. It's, I mean, baseball knows how to do the work right, I think. And I, I think they handle it uh, uh, extremely well. Um, you know, I, I, how, you know, you know, you know, with your roots in Kalamazoo, how have, uh, what's been the reaction at home to this kind of retirement and going home? I mean, how, how are they honoring, you know, someone who is really, the, you know, the favorite son? Uh, it's been great. It's been great. Um, yeah, it's been great. I talked to a few of my guys I played baseball way back in the day, and we were all talking to each other while we were watching it, so. It was uh, it was great. Well, you know, I, he's uh, you know, I always think about you know if he would have been drafted by the Yankees, you know, growing up in Ann Arbor, he, he you know he wanted to go to Michigan, and uh, like what if he you know he would have done that? But uh, you know, he is when you think about all the stuff that um, folks have gone through, and um, uh, you know, all the stuff that players during this era have gone through. Um, it's been amazing. And another person I saw who's going to be uh, in the Hall of Fame, Frank Thomas, it's been amazing with all the chatter around Bonds and everything. You know, Frank was, you know, one of the top players and never really got the respect. I mean, people fail to realize that, you know, Frank was a, you know, incredible um, uh, football player as well at Auburn. Um, thought about Frank Thomas and, you know, with all this swirl around, you know, um, uh, uh you know the whole steroids era and things like that, but to to um, see Derek Jeter being honored and then seeing Frank Thomas get into the the hall, um, you know, you know, and um, you know Frank, you know, knowing that you know, you know, um, Frank, you know, pretty much done it the right way, you know, as, as far as we can tell, you know, yeah, getting that love now versus when they got it as players. Derek, Derek has always kind of got it, but Frank has never really gotten it. Um, the way that if you look at his numbers, you look at how he's performed, you know, Frank Thomas has never really gotten the love he probably deserves. Um, so I'm going to let the game changer take the Frank Thomas question. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm very equipped to do that. As a, as a young White Sox fan, um, my, my uh, love for baseball kind of came around as Frank was breaking into the league and, you know, I was an avid, avid White Sox fan as a kid, uh, probably till I, up until I was about, you know, 14, 15. Um, but baseball was kind of the first sport that really kind of got its home. Yeah, you know, as I'm thinking about Frank, um, you know, he was, you know, someone that for me was uh, he never really, I mean, you think about um, hitting for power, average, um all the different things that I think uh, yep. are very yeah, important. Yeah. Uh, you know, Frank got that love. Yeah, so and, that, you know, he always kind of lived in that tier right below the big names. Yeah. And, of course, then, you know, guys kind of, you know, Sammy Sosa, who I, I can't stand, uh, just because when he was with the White Sox, he sucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he go play for the Cubs, <laughs> who, I, who I also can't stand, and then he gets good. But he's Sosa, McGuire, Bonds. Those guys started juicing, and they took the game somewhere else, and it kind of took some of Frank's shine, you know. And I felt like, you know, I watched his speech because, you know, I'm not a big baseball fan, but watching Frank get inducted, the big hurt kind of took me back to that era where I was a baseball fan. 
and brought back a lot of those feelings that I had for baseball. Uh, but listening to Frank and how guys like him who were clean during that era kind of were done a disservice, you know? Yeah. Because he didn't, he didn't hit for power with ridiculous, gouty video game numbers, he was kind of pushed out of the spotlight when he was one of the best players of his era, hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was, there was no point in that era where you could talk about, as you said, great guys who could hit for power but also hit for average um, where he wasn't coming up in a conversation. The other thing that was amazing about Frank that I really learned about, that I really learned from him, um, and it stuck with me in regards to baseball, and I've even kind of translated it over as I've become more of a basketball guy. It's a philosophy that I, I think translates into basketball. But Frank never took – he never swung at bad pitches, you know. Mm. And to me, that's really the essence of guys like Frank and Tony Gwynn and Kirby Puckett, guys who were hitters, who were just flat-out hitters. And, you know, they would, they would work the pitcher. You know, they would work the pitcher, work the pitcher, work the pitcher, you know, until they got the pitch that they wanted and that they could do something with, you know. And that, that likens me to guys who are, you know, great scorers in basketball. They don't want just any shot. They want the shot that they like. They want their shot, you know. And that's what Frank, he, he didn't want any pitching. He wasn't going to swing at any pitching. That's kind of a lost art. A lot of guys nowadays, especially power hitters, they swing at everything. You know, strikeouts yeah. are at an all-time high. In baseball, you know, guys are striking out left and right. Um, it was different back then. You had guys who were technicians behind the plate as far as the art of hitting the baseball, the art of working the pitcher, the art of working the count. They were great at it. And Frank was one of those guys. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the he, he, and, he, and never really apologized for it. You know, you know, usually you had guys that um, uh, would um, try to, you know, conform to what's, you know, the current trend, but he would never buck that. People would want him to be more aggressive and not really uh, be patient, and he was strong enough to to be able to do that. And so, you know, I think that's something I've always loved about is his patience um, in a time when people were impatient. So that's the amazing part about it. Yeah, and, and you know, just to, I, I was glad to see him go in. Hats off to him. Um, you know, I was uh, again. It, it took me back. Um, I'm sure in the same sense that PhD was taken back. You know, with his connection to Jeter. Frank and I have a. You don't know, but you know, we got a little connection. And, you know, it just just take you back to a time where you know things were simple for me as far as my my my, my fandom and sports. You know. You had that child, that childlike innocence, um, and it was just all fresh and, and new. And I just wanted to learn everything I could, you know, memorizing batting averages and all base percentages and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was just, it was just fun. And Frank, Frank, uh, Frank Thomas, the big hurt, he he, he brings me back to that. So we want to transition, right, D. Wills? We have a special guest coming on. I'm gonna let you go ahead. Right. Yes and we can bring in Ph.D. and our special guest. Well, you know, one of the things that we've um, kind of always talked about is, uh, you know, there's a common origin uh, for all three of us uh, who have been driving this main show on Real Sports Guys, and uh, we all have a common place, uh, Beloit College in Beloit, Wisconsin, and um, it's a place that for we talk a lot about how it's shaped our lives, um, 
not only as our, as um, athletes, but as students, as student athletes. And uh, we, you know, as much as we talked about Division One and all the things happening, we've also uh, wanted to really provide some insight to what's happening in other aspects of college sports. And tonight, we've been uh, fortunate enough to have with us uh, the new head coach at Boulay College, uh, Seth Dura. How you doing, Coach? Uh, doing real well. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm 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 so excited. Um, and, uh, a number of my um, uh, former teammates um, uh, are are probably uh, uh, listening in and, and checking in. And uh, I was looking at your bio, um, and, and this is you know you are uh, uh, played uh, small college football, and uh, I looked at your, your your undergraduate degree in biochemistry and a, a master's in uh, uh, in, uh, in uh, and chemistry um, tells me a lot about your, you know, your commitment to your own personal development as a coach. And uh, I guess I just want to talk first about, you know, just your own personal journey as a player to being a coach, and then, you know, maybe just, you know, get into what you hope uh, will happen now that you're 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 at the helm at Boy College. Sure, sure. Well, um, grew up in Ohio, and uh, I know you guys are, are mostly Michigan guys, so I, I apologize because you probably don't want to hear some of that. But no, we don't. We don't want to do that now. <laughs> We're not going there. We're not going there. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, like you guys, I mean, um, I looked around. I had a passion to play college football. I was a guy that you know was a good high school player, but not a, a scholarship guy. And, um, you know, when it came down to it, I wanted a, I wanted a place that would provide a great education and um, was able to do that at a small college in Ohio that um, was a great experience for me, you know, and, and I was uh, fortunate to have a, a good football experience, but really, you know, um, just what I learned in the classroom, outside of the classroom, the relationships I built with, with my coaches, with guys on campus, the guys I played with. Um, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And so, um, you know, that was a big part of me wanting to coach my football experience. And at the time, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to end up as far as being in college or high school, what I wanted to do. But um, continue to coach at the college level, had the opportunity to get my master's. And um, and that was a great step, you know, definitely something that, that helps you continue to climb the ladder and, and learn, but, you know, help you progress your career. So, um you know, was at my alma mater as a defensive coordinator for a while. Uh, most recently, coached at a Division II school back in Ohio, and and then, um, you know, had really had the itch to be a head coach. And um, so I've been looking around, and when I when I came and visited Beloit College, I was definitely impressed. You know, I, I felt like I could relate to the um, experience that these students were having. I felt like I could provide a great um, uh, experience for them and, and hopefully mentor these guys and, and, and build the program. And so, um, you know, it was extremely excited to have this opportunity. I am right now, I'm getting ready to go here for camp in a, you know, about two weeks. So I'm fired up and looking forward to the future. You know, if you were to, um, you know, kind of really define uh, kind of your coaching philosophy and how you approach things, you know, how would you, how would you uh, define how your coaching philosophy and, you know, and what you try to do in terms of the foundation of your program. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, as as any coach, whether it's, you know, football, basketball, baseball, whatever it might be, I think that we all love the sport that we coach, but really we're coaching we're coaching men. You know, we're, we're building young men, and I think that's something I try to remind myself every day is that 
I want to mentor these guys to be the best people they can be. And um, I think along the way, if you do it, do that the right way, you're going to build great relationships, get these guys to trust you, and you know, be able to win win games. And so um, I try to really instill in our guys that um, you know, really we can build our great relationship and build our team around trust and respect. So that's something we talk about. And um, along with that. Um, you know, I really try to, uh, you know, do my best to, and, and our coaches to be teachers and to be mentors for our guys, um, you know, on a daily basis. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, uh, realsportsguys.com. Uh, uh, we're on with uh, new head coach of Beloit College, Seth, Seth Durr. Um, coach, you know, one of the things I, I love about it when I saw that, you know, uh, from a defensive guy is that, you know, you, you come with some defensive side of the ball, and I, I looked at you know, kind of uh, where Beloit has been you know, the last couple of years being able to um, really shoe up, um, you know, um, themselves on that side of the ball. Um, you know, from a defensive standpoint, you know, what are, what are the kinds of things that you are looking to try to do on, on defense? At some point, you know, if you're going to win a championship, you've got to be able to defend people. Um, what are you hoping to, to kind of change and develop on that side of the ball? Yeah, sure. I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, it's 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 a key to success. I mean, um, you know, I think that my philosophy on that side of the ball really has always been that um, I think that you can get you know a little bit too wrapped up in scheme, and, and really what it comes down to is um, you got to make your guys fundamentally sound, and you got to get them to play for you. Um, so, you know, I think that something we really want to try to do is um, be simple in, in what we do, so our guys can understand, so we can let them play. Um, but we've got to instill um, an attitude that, that we're going to really get after the ball as far as our effort um, and also creating takeaways. You know, I think that that's something that um, if you look at every level, um, you can have a defense that may not be great to just completely stop people on every play. And, it, and honestly, you know, offenses have developed and that it's difficult. You know, people are going to get some yards um, unless you just got, you know, the best dudes over there that are better than everybody else. Um, but if you can create takeaways, you can really stop drives. You can really change momentum. And so, um, you know, I think uh, some, something we talk about are really the three fundamentals would be tackling, effort, and takeaways are, are really the three things that we harp on a lot and we're going to try to do every single day in our practice. You know, I, you know, I worked there for many years before uh, moving on to my, my next phase of my life and um, been around. Um, and, you know, one of the big differences, I think, uh, you know, when people, when we talk a lot of sports about what's happening at the Division One level and even Division Two, but at Division Three level, even you know, recruitment at all levels is the lifeline, lifeblood of your program. Mm-hmm. But it, particularly at small college, it's important to to really own some stuff regionally. Um, and I know Beloit has pushed out a more national kind of recruiting model around football. Which, what do you see your plan in terms of really? Um, having more of that ownership in some of your regional recruiting. Is that something that is um, part of uh, what you see as your plan, or how do you see that as, as, as part of, uh, you know, helping to build that team towards the future? Yeah, sure. I think, um, yeah, you have to – I think you have to take care of your backyard. Um, every, every school is different. You know, every situation is going to be a little bit different with, um, you know, who your school attracts and, and who your program can attract. But certainly um, there are always going to be guys – 
in somewhat of a local area or, you know, within for us, because we're, you know, right in the state line area here, we got, we have to, within an hour down into Illinois, within an hour up into Wisconsin, for sure, we have to be able to identify every recruit that is, uh, you know, admissible force that we believe that can play for us. Um, you know, and so I think that, uh, you know, it, it starts with just our emphasis. You know, I think that at times you can get, um, caught up a little bit with maybe you have some success with some out-of-state areas, so you rely on that pretty heavily. Um, and this is certainly a place, as you guys know, that attracts students from all over the nation. Um, but I don't think uh, really we can live off of, uh, you know, expecting not to, um, you know, get get the majority of our kids from Illinois and Wisconsin. So, um, you know, I think that I've tried uh, – even as early as this spring, right after I got here, to develop some relationships with guys in this area, um, just getting to know coaches and, and going out and seeing them. You know, we we, had, we went to the Wisconsin Coaches Clinic up in Madison. Um, you know, the more you're visible and the more high school coaches know about your program, uh, the more that their kids can know about it. So I think that's you know, where we have to start and build upon that, um, build upon you know, some of the local guys we have right now in our program and, and, and you know, be able to help them, uh, or excuse me, help us, you know, identify and relate to some kids that are like them as they come and visit campus. Um, so I think that uh, it's certainly something that we are, you know, well aware of that we need to, we need to emphasize and, and uh, you know, we have a plan for. Uh, so we'll continue to, you know, really um, push to try to get those guys here on campus first as we, as we start the recruiting process. Before I pass it over to Phil, um, how would you, you know, as you have three alums sitting here uh, with you uh, tonight, you know, mm-hmm. how do you envision, um, you know, having alums support you in this effort and, you know, what are the things that you would hope that not only alums of the program or athletics or the college, how would how are you hoping that they might help you with this, uh, with uh, really spreading the word and, and helping around the recruitment phase? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's 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 you know it can be hugely uh, beneficial for us. And I think that um, Devon, one thing is we, we've tried to talk with some alums who've come back and said, hey, you know, we've been a little disconnected. We we want the program to succeed. How can we help? Um, trying for me and our coaching staff to develop a, a network of guys that we could go to and um, maybe late in the process or maybe early in the process ask, you know, a, a alum to give a phone call or write a letter to a, a young man that would be a top recruit for us that maybe maybe he's from that same area, maybe that, you know, there's some um, connection there or, you know, uh, we, we have guys who come to us and say, hey, I'm interested in getting into sports and, and doing, maybe they want to do broadcasting and, and, and radio like you guys, you know, um, for us to be able to reach out and, and ask, hey, would you be willing to write a letter or, or to put a phone call in? That's huge. You know, certainly that goes a long way in the recruiting process. And then the other thing we've done is, um, you know, we had two two prospect camps over the summer. We, you know, got some guys on campus. We had some alums involved in that that are local guys, um, you know, and kind of t- tell their story a little bit to, to those guys. Uh, and that's huge because I think that, um, you know, the, all recruits are going to hear a positive things from that coaching staff. But a lot of times, you know, it could be an alum, it could be a player that's really going to maybe make the difference in, um, you know, the the experience they have. So I think that the more we can involve, uh, you know, a phone call, a, a, an email, or an on-campus connection, um, that's going to help us. You're listening to Real Sports Guys on realsportsguys.com. We've got Coach Seth Durr here. 
the head football coach of Beloit College, about to start his first season as the Bucks coach. Uh, coach, like Devon mentioned, Marcus Devon and I, you know, all went to, all attended Beloit College. We all had really fun and great experiences. But I know as a as a minority uh, student coming in, my parents were a little hesitant with the um, private liberal arts setting. Um, overall, mm-hmm. I had a great experience, but. You know, if there were potential recruits, parents out there listening, how would you um, convince them that would be a good um, fit for them as a minority parent? Sure. Well, I think that, um, you know, one thing about our institutions, you guys know, is that it's a very diverse place. You know, not only um, uh, people of, of all sorts of ethnicities, backgrounds, races, but geographically, you know, kids kids from um, across the nation, but kids, you know, from all sorts of countries here. So, um, you know, I think that this is a place that's going to really uh, embrace diversity. Um, and, and the other thing is that, you know, you, I don't think you'll find an institution that um, does as good a job of really um, supporting our students in, in every way possible, um, no matter what they want to do, no matter who they are. And so um, between our, our coaching staff, between um, administrators, faculty, staff on our campus, there's so much support system here that I think is, is really beneficial um, for our guys. At the same time, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you, we have students from all over, and it can be difficult for those families to really um, maybe see that that young man there, or to know, hey, he's going to, you know, this town in in Wisconsin I never heard of, and you know, is he going to be okay? Yeah. But um, you know, the the support network here is extremely extensive, and 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 they do a great job of. Um, really helping our students make the transition and supporting them um, as they go through through their career and and deal with things that come up. And so, um, you know, certainly that's part of my job, but I think the school does a tremendous job with all of our folks on campus of really uh, providing a support network for our kids and and giving them as many resources as possible to be successful. Coach, I want to shift to some X's and O's, Um, Mm -hmm. specifically guys you got coming, coming back. Um, and new players coming in. Can you talk a little bit about um, guys you got to return on the offensive side of the ball and, and what your strengths will be there this season? Yeah, well, um, you know, one thing you may know or not know about us is that, um, you know, the, the previous coaching staff brought in just a, a great freshman class a year ago. Um, very talented group, uh, deeper group than, than they, I think, had, had, had in the past. And, and a lot of those guys really contributed. Um, you know, one, one key guy that is a special player um, for us and really at this level is uh, our running back, Mason Dixon. Um, you know, his father is, is uh, in our Hall of Honor and, and is the all-time yeah. leading rusher for Beloit, played for Coach DeGeorge. Um, but Mason was a um, – you know, a kid that came from a little school called Bigfoot here, which has had great success in, in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and the, and uh, he had 1,300 yards, you know, on a on a um, uh, two or, excuse me, one-win team a year ago. And he's extremely physical. Uh, he's a fast kid but just runs hard, you know. And so he's certainly a guy that, that we're really excited about. We know that we need to, to utilize a good bit on the offensive side. Um, you know, I think we're fortunate that we've got, you know, some really good skill around him as well. We, we have um, two, two returning quarterbacks, both who will be sophomores as well. Um, Cam Salee is a young man from Huntley, Illinois, who 
really athletic kid who plays baseball for us as well, started on the baseball team um, this past spring. He uh, he was our starter, in, you know, at quarterback a year ago, and um, he got dinged up a little bit. And, and there was a, another young man that came in, um, another local kid from Milton High School just up the road here, um, uh, who'd done a great job, named Evan Phillips. Um, so both those guys, you know, we're really excited about. We have another young man that you know will play some quarterback a little bit, and he played some wide receiver last year. Um, we've got a um, a kid who will be a junior, uh, one of our wide receivers, a real big kid from from up in the Madison area named Mike Nolden, who is really probably one of our best leaders, just did a great job in the spring, and he's a really a, a big target for our level that, you know, I think all those guys can really help do some good things for us. Um, we've got some young kids coming in. We've got a, a kid from out in New England that's a really big physical offensive lineman. I think that'll be an impact guy. Um, and then some others that are going to, you know, we, we ended up getting a few transfers late in the process that I think could could help as well. So um, those would be the guys on offense that I think, uh, you know, will be uh, we're really excited about will be key contributors for us to, to, to hopefully having some success. We'll be right back with Coach Dern on Pacing Bills in 45 seconds. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. You're listening to Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. Shout out to LR, Larry Randall, Resistance Digital, another Beloit College alum and former football player. We're uh, talking to Coach Hefter, uh, the head coach at Beloit College, our alma mater. Uh, coach, give us an idea of what your offense is going to look like as far as um, what kind of system you're going to put in or, or have in right now and, and any offense that we might be able to identify, you know, on a D1 level or professional level that will mirror the type of system you're putting in. Sure. Um, so we're we're really moving to more of a spread offense, um, you know, and that means a lot of different things these days. But I think that, um, you know, we'll really be primarily a shotgun team, um, you know, with with uh, multiple personnel, and then that kind of depends on, you know, the, the guys that we feel like are, are playmakers for us. Um, you know, so I think that we'd like to be in, you know, 11 and, and 10 personnel, um, utilizing some, some different groups, maybe some 20 with some two back um, in there. Sure. But, uh, you know, I think that um, – we we also want to utilize tempo. You know, I think that if we'd like to think of ourselves in maybe some ways, it'd be like an Auburn, you know, going fast, um, trying to get the ball in space, you know, to, to guys who can who are playmakers for us. There'll be some, you know, definitely some read component to our run game with the quarterback and running back, primarily zone, you know, some power, some things like that. And, and then, you know, make sure that we have kind of answers and compliments off of those things in the pass game. Okay. <laughs> I laugh because when we played uh, back in the 90s and for Devon in the 80s, 
you know, I think uh, Coach George is rocking the wing tee, so we could oh, yeah. see him come yeah. a, long, <laughs> a long way. How about on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball? Who's the guys you got coming uh, back that are going to make impact? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've heard a lot about the wing tee around here, so, you know, got to get get out of that phase. But, um, so, you know, on defense, uh, we'll primarily be a 4-3 team. Um, you know, that's what I've been most of my career. And, and Coach Wilson, our defensive coordinator, Mike Wilson, he'll continue to call that. We've kind of blended both of our systems together to, to you know, put our guys in the best position to, to be successful. And, and certainly there's always a component of – you know who you have there and what you do, but um, yeah, I, I think that um, primarily I've been more of a, a, an even shell cover team. So cover four, cover two, uh, mixing some of those things up. I, I do like to be aggressive. You know, movement up front, uh, zone blitzing. You know, if, if we got the guys, you know, in the secondary, we'll, we'll man blitz. You know, we'll see kind of um, how those matchups are, but. Um, I do think you need to take some chances, you know, I mean, based on what you know through game plan. Uh, so, I'll, uh, you know, like to be sound and, and have some base stuff. But at the same time, I really believe in, in some movement and, and, and being um, dynamic and where our guys are. Um, so primarily 4-3, you know, we'll have the ability to maybe get into some, some three-man front and, and maybe some nickel defense um, depending on personnel and, and who we're playing. So before we send it back to Devon, um, you you mentioned earlier about spring practice. I know the D3 level, that's that's something that's relatively a newer concept. Um, how is how is the spring practices and, and being able to have that extra time with your team really enhanced uh, what you're able to do? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think that for anybody, I mean, whether um, you know, you're a Division One athlete or, or our guys, I think that, you know, you get – you get excited to get back into you know, football at that time, kind of getting out of the weight room and getting into a new, getting into a new phase is, is always exciting. Um, and, and, you know, despite us not being able to get into pads and, and, but we, we, we can go practice so we can go out there and, and be um, without pads, really installing our offense and defense, running through drills, lining up against each other, competing. And it was critical for us this spring because, um, you know, I got a chance to – we got a chance to really install our, our schemes, but I got a chance to, to put, you know, guys out there in competitive situations and do some team-building exercises. So um, I think the guys had a lot of fun doing it, and it, it does change the pace, but it also allows you to really get ahead with what you want to install so that now, you know, our, our upperclassmen coming, coming back in – It'll be the same terminology. We'll kind of hit the ground running with the things that we we already did, uh, you know, in April. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com. We're we're on with Boyd College Buccaneer head coach Seth Durr. Uh Coach, um, this has been a pleasure. Um, as, as you know, um, and probably already, we're, we're very dedicated to um, Boyd College, but we, we're also dedicated to. The, the idea of what it really means to be a student athlete and the kind of growth and development that happens um, with athletes on college campuses. And so I'm, I'm glad that you are, um, you know, really, um, uh, you know, trying to kind of bring that movement back and um, make it a fun experience for uh, the athletes competing there. Um, and so we, we appreciate it. We appreciate you you know, spending this time with us uh, tonight. I guess in closing, you know, if you were to 
to lay down, you know, um, you know, two to three things that you hope would happen this season that would give you a sense that you you lay in the foundation. Uh, what are those things that you would want to, if we were to talk to you in December, um, you would have said, okay, you really have accomplished your goal in the first year. What are, what are some of those things? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think the main thing that, that we really talk about and are, are emphasizing with our guys is um, are, are we – are we coming together as a team and are we getting better on a weekly basis? And I think that'll be a huge measure for us as we look at the season is do we feel like we have uh, gotten better? Because um, I think that we, we, we know um, we, we've got you know, we got a lot of work to do. Um, we're, we're not where we need to be, um, you know, probably with our depth for sure. Um, you know, I think that just – bringing in more talent, but also kind of bringing this team together is, is a key right now. You know, I think the last few years have been rough, and when you're not winning, it's easy for guys to, you know, not be as committed, not, you know, you know, be as um, passionate about it. So uh, are we getting better on a daily basis? I think that's a big key. Um, are our guys having fun? You know, um, certainly we want to go win every game we play, but um, are we are we being competitors and then having fun do, doing it? You know, I mean, I think that um, that's why we played these games is because we love it and that's why I coach it. So I want to make sure that we're continuing to have fun doing that and getting better on a weekly basis. So those are the things that, that I hope to accomplish and hope to see when we, when we look back at the end of the season. Well, Coach, thanks for being on, and uh, we'll certainly get the games uh, this uh, this year, the fall. I'm certainly going to see you at homecoming, but I'll get to – games that support you and i look forward to um spending some time with you this year so thank you for being on the on the show with us tonight and uh have a great evening thanks so much i really appreciate it i'm excited to see what you guys are doing here and look forward to meeting you all right take care coach all right take care you can learn more about uh that was coach uh seth durer with beloit college buccaneers you can learn more about the program at uh www.beloit.edu um uh follow it um you know the whole idea of what is happening um uh with uh small college sports it's always great to kind of share this fellas that that was uh you know it kind of took us back uh phil you had me cracking up um <laughs> about the wing t which you know was part of your experience <laughs> I was before the wing tee, but they brought it in uh, my junior and senior year, but then they went on a run. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't argue with success, man. That wing, that wing tee was successful. They were pounding the rock. You know? <laughs> it, 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 it was successful. Though. I mean, you, know, you can't criticize. I remember my freshman year, we literally would throw the ball like seven or eight times. And, uh, you know, I played defense. So, I mean, when that offense was rolling, you got a whole lot of rest on the bench. You got a whole lot of rest. And in those early games in September, when it was still hot and humid in, in Wisconsin, you know, and the offense had those seven or eight-minute drives, you loved it. You loved it because it was yeah. like you had a, yeah. a chance to recharge. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and what the George understood was he was never going to have 120 players on his roster like some of the – most people don't understand the UW system schools who are Division three are powerhouses. I mean, they can collect players. they got things going on nationally. You know, Whitewater, we've all talked about that. Uh, but what he figured out is that to prepare for that, 
And given that you were not going to see that very often, just the preparation for it even made it difficult because it was something that you had to switch your whole defensive scheme and thought to even get ready for. So he understood yeah. the beauty of having to prepare for something that they don't see every day. Yeah, I, uh, I had an opportunity to see the team play about five or six years ago, and the new coach, um, I think it was Coach Braun, he was in, I think that's the guy that followed Coach Coach Ed, and um, and they, they had opened up the offense at that point. I saw him play in Jacksonville against Illinois College, and I remember talking to Coach David George. He was still assistant at that time on the football team, and we were just talking about, you know, how much things have changed and, um, you know, quarterbacks making reads, calling no huddles. I mean, it was it was exactly what you would expect um, in terms of a college offense and defense in terms of intelligence-wise. And, you know, I I like what Coach Durer was saying in terms of his philosophy on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they've had some playmakers there the last four or five years. You know, mm-hmm. one year they had two receivers over 1,000 yards. I mean, there's a kid in the NFL right now, Derek Carrier, um, that was just there two seasons ago. Um, he's a uh, he's playing tight end now, but he played wide receiver there. I mean, they they've had some guys on the edge, you know that that are true game makers. So so hopefully you know they can continue that on, and uh, and make some noise on the defensive side of the ball as well. Yeah, I think his I think having that offensive velocity, but having him as a, a defensive person, uh, I think is the balance that they need. You know, to be able to be as uh, progressive defensively as they've been offensively. To You know, they were giving up, uh, looking at, you know, giving up a lot to opponents um, of scoring. And, uh, you know, you got to be able to stop. So you can't, you know, in this day and age, open office, hard to stop people all the time. But you got to be able to stop them some of the time. And I think, you yeah. know, sharing up that defensive side uh, is important. And, and I think spring ball helps a program like Beloit a lot when you're trying to build that when you're not going to have the depth that you would have against with some of the other powerhouse division three teams that, you know, will have 120 players coming out to try out. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think people understand that. People think that just happens in big schools, but, you know, that's a big phenomenon at some of these powerhouse division threes, you know. Um, well, and, and also Wisconsin has the uh, WIAC, which is, you know, they, they, they've nicknamed it the Conference of Champions because so many programs have won national championships in multiple sports out of that particular conference. So, you know, it's, right. it's the recruiting is going to be a, a challenge in itself because you are going up against, when you talk about the Division three level, some of the uh, most notable programs um, in the country at the DP level with UWI, Stevens Point, Whitewater, some of those schools um, that are, are very well known throughout. So um, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a challenge, but it seems like Coach Durr is up to the challenge and, and he's ready to yeah. kind of put Beloit in that conversation. Um, you were talking about having a thin roster. When you got a thin roster as a coach, execution is important, and I think those spring days will play a big, big part in that. When you do, you're not, you can't just have a bunch of plays and run them. You know, you can't be out. You can't be expecting to just out, you know, out, outrun the other team. Um, you got to kind of out execute them, and what you do, you have to be very precise and very uh, efficient at what you're doing. So those spring practices, you know, it would be interesting to be on the yeah. campus with that, with the, what the atmosphere is like at those spring practices because, mm. you know, it, it, yeah. that, that, that's something that's new and that's something that's different than when we were, um, you know, stomping around the campus there at Beloit. And, you, you know, know um, you, you get a legacy. 
<laughs> when you get somebody yeah, that's right. you, want, you want anything like his daddy, uh, that that can help you get healthy quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Um, I mean, I enjoy kind of just hearing his philosophy on recruiting at Beloit. You know, all three of us went there. Um, you know, Marcus, you were a basketball star. I was just looking at the record book. You all over the record book. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, just a defensive star uh, that could score. And uh, But, you know, Devon and I played football there. And, um, you know, when, when Coach Durr was talking about his experience, I mean, here's a guy who was an All-American at the D3 level, but – you know, he said, listen, you know, I could have walked on somewhere, um, but I decided to play D3 because I wanted to play. And that was exactly my situation. I could have walked on at a Western Michigan or a Michigan State and <laughs> hoped to be a special team player by my fifth year, or I could go to a place like Beloit and play right away as a freshman, and that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, I asked the question about, um, you know, minority recruiting, and, you know, that's something that was close to my heart. I'm sure all three of our parents, well, I know mine did, I'm sure yours did too, you know, when we went to go visit in this small city in Wisconsin, they wanted to know what the deal was. And, uh, you know, four years later, they're thanking everybody who they <laughs> who would listen, including Devon, who was an administrator at that time, <laughs> thank you for convincing us to send my kid to Beloit. I mean, going to Beloit, man, just exposed me to so much stuff early on and has a big part, has been a big part of my development, you know, as a somebody in corporate America who, you know, who rose up the ranks pretty fast and now back in academia. I mean, the foundation I got there at Beloit, not just in the classroom and on the football field, but just the fun, you know, lifelong relationships I built, man, is something, you know, 13 years later, no, 14 years later, oh, my goodness, that um, right. I graduated. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, I still really, really, you know, cherish, man, I'm, I'm curious to hear about y'all Beloit experiences in, in regard to sports and the overall experience. I'll well, let I, Devon I, go, I, then I'll go after D. Yeah, I, you know, and I came, you know, when people go there now, they look at the facilities and the, the way they've upgraded was incredible. And, that, you know, I came, and it's funny, Phil tells his story because I had a similar story um, coming out of high school, you know, playing in Michigan. And, and, and I, I would I, Beloit was the only place I applied because my friend and mother made me do it because – She's like, you're going to do something. And I remember going over to visit and meeting with Coaster George in the spring. I was helping uh, 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 my friends, uh, my friend move out of a, a residence hall. He was an upper-class person there. And, and I remember meeting him, and, and he, you, know, you know, Coaster George, you know, had that Bo Schimbacker look. And I was like, I think I can play for this guy. <laughs> and, um, but I remember showing up and realizing, you know, and I came from, I mean, we were, you know, pretty top program state of Michigan, ranked in the country. And so I came in thinking, you know, that, you know, oh, this is Division Three football. And I, I remember playing against John Davis, who was an All-American, and, 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 and going into the hole to try to tackle him. And he ran past me like I, I stole the government cheese. And yeah. I realized that some of the differences between cats who played Division Three and Division One was sometimes just size, right? And so yeah. it was a wake-up call. Um, but there was so much I began to learn, man, uh, through that experience. And, you know, Beloit transformed me. Um, it, 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 I, went from, I went there as an athlete and left as somebody who was really caring about what I was going to do academically in life. I mean, I went through a change there, and, um, you know, I wouldn't be here today without that experience that, 
Um, it forced me to expand my mind because of all the different cultures I met when I was there. It's a smaller place, but you have people from all over the world, so you are interacting with people who speak multiple languages. And so that experience for me was, was powerful, and, uh, and I, I reflect on it all the time. And, and it was challenging because I had to stretch, um, and my identity was that of an athlete. I left, it was more than that, um, which I think is something that's powerful. Yeah, and I have to echo both sentiments of, of, of you guys. As far as my experience at Beloit, man, you know, I came in with a very narrow view of uh, myself, of the world, um, and I left with a much more expanded view of who I could be, the possibilities for myself, but also um, of just what the world had to offer um, and, and, and what I wanted to uh, explore. Um, and I know that sounds cliche and it sounds like, a, you know, an admissions uh, postcard or something like that, but that's really what it was. I mean, you know, I came in. First, I had great, great people. You know, Devon, you were one of them, Cecil Youngblood, um, just great people who helped guide me um, throughout the process, Dean Flanagan, uh, who yeah. took the time to really um, kind of help a kid who had potential uh, but didn't quite understand their own potential um, began mm-hmm. to see all the possibilities. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, uh, being a young Jedi uh, and trying to <laughs> master the force, and you don't quite know all of the all of the uh, the the vastness of the force, and so you need somebody to kind of guide you through that and help you really understand how vast it is. And so they were like Jedi Masters, you know, D. Wills. You like you like my Jedi Master, man. Um, but it was a it was an unbelievable experience. Um, it, it definitely changed who I am. It changed the trajectory of of where I was going as far as my life path. Um, and I'm, I'm extremely grateful and thankful. And again, you know, I came from a family of, of one parent um, who didn't go to college, and so finding Beloit was a, uh, a a stroke of, of luck on my part. Um, you know, I was going there to play basketball. I was going there um, because, you know, I, I fell in love with the coach. Um, you know, I, I saw somebody who I felt like could help me not only as an athlete but as a young man, as a young African-American man, um, kind of grow to where I wanted to be. Um, and and I, found, uh, I found a whole different world that, you know, taught me how to interact with people of all different backgrounds, um, which, you know, as, as you said before, Phil, these are skills that, you know, as somebody who, you know, went on to get a master's, um, interacts with people on a daily basis, um, it, 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 they're invaluable. You know, being able to relate right. to people across different cultures, different experiences is just invaluable. So, um, you know, my mom was singing Beloit's praises as well. As as her first first baby boy walked across that stage, <laughs> I was there. I was there. I you I know was there. one of the one of the uh, one of the things I remember was my freshman year. Um, I uh, wasn't going to class much, <laughs> and uh, it was probably the second or third game of the season, and um, you know, Coach George got got word that I wasn't going to class and, and wasn't doing well when I was, you know, what was there in class. And uh, I got summoned to the office. 
And, yeah, summoned. Uh, <laughs> you never want to get summoned was, anywhere. <laughs> right, and it was not a good thing. And uh, and I remember this. Um, you pretty much told me that for the next week, I would not be practicing. I'd be at study sessions. Um, he sent me over to EDP to talk to Dean Flanagan and talk to uh, the folks that were over there. Um, and I got a plan going. I got a plan going in terms of how I was going to make it there academically. And he didn't seem very concerned that his starting defensive end may not be playing that week. He was more concerned about, you know, my development as a person, as a student, and that was really, really critical. Um, He also called my dad, and uh, that conversation from dad uh, also got me on the ball pretty quick. Um, (laughs) Pretty quick. I can understand what that conversation was about. (laughs) (laughs) It was a one-side conversation. I was doing a lot of listening. But the point being was uh, I'm not sure I would have gotten that kind of attention and focus and, and a clear message that, you know, academics is first, your development is first, you know, had I walked on to a Division One school uh, where I wouldn't have been playing much, I would have been spending, spending ten times the amount um, in the sport. And, you know, it, it was kind of like those kind of things uh, in regard to sports um, and those kind of connections and and just lessons that you learn right away are things that I think about, you know, in regards to my experience there. Yeah, I, mean, I think you hit it in, and that, that kind of the expectation of why you're there was reinforced uh, uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, it's one of those reasons why, you know, we it's important, um, you know, it's what's great about having our own show that we can share those kind of stories, but it's important to understand that the world of sports, there's a lot of good things happening, um, not just tied to wins and losses, but are tied to how lives, real lives are being changed. And, you know, in the day and age when we, we started the conversation, you know, talking about, you know, domestic violence and, you know, Donald Sterling and everything else, to end the conversation talking about, um, you know, how real lives get changed through sports um, is, is important. Um, and, um and sometimes that gets lost. The value of sports as it relates to that gets lost um, in a lot of these discussions. So, uh, you know, it's always good to be able to share this part of our story with the folks who are listening and to, to really share a place that was special, to, that has been special to all three of us. There it is. It had never been written. There it is. So, you know, it, it, was, it was a great, great experience, um, and, you know, I think you summed it up. It's very special. I think it, it, at, at the Division three level, you really get the full experience of what it means to be a student athlete, and I think we all took full advantage of that, and Beloit provided us a framework to do just that, to take full advantage of the opportunity to be a full-out student athlete. Um, you know, we all did tremendous amounts of work outside of, Outside of what we did on the on the athletic field that we uh, that we played on, um, and that's where the, that's where probably the most meaningful growth happened, um, and it happened because it was facilitated by uh, the the faculty, the staff, the coaches, um, just everybody involved. They invested in you in a way that I don't think happens at a lot of places. 
So, fellas, I think it's about that time for us to get ready to close this thing out. Are you listening to the Real Sports Guys? RealSportsGuys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. Fellas and I will be signing off. Coming back next week, same time, same place. Make sure you check us out Tuesday nights, 8.30 to 10 o'clock Central Time. The Real Sports Guys, Renegade. Take care. Be well. Peace.
You listen to The Real Sports Guys, where real guys talk real sports. Sponsored by Resistance Digital Solutions. ResistanceDigital.com. RSG. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. Coach, we recently put together our top NBA players of all time. Coach, we recently put together our top NBA players of all time, our top 50, and we had a split with Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain. Who would you consider to be the greatest NBA player of all time? For me, I would have another person because I look at the best players, who's played on the best teams, and who's won the most championships. Now, we all know that there's been individual guys you know, like Wilt, or they scored the most points, or they've done it. But who's been the best player that made the best players, that made the best players around them, that who won the most championships? And there's no question who that was, and that's Russell, Bill Russell. He, in my opinion, because he played defense, he played offense, his rebounding, his shot blocking, and then he was a great leader. I mean, he was a coach. He was, I mean... In today's world, who would be a player coach on a basketball team in the NBA? Could you name one that could coach their team? He did that. I mean, the magnitude of what he accomplished and with his leadership ability is just amazing to me. And to do it with he did. No, he had some great players around him, but he all made those players better. And uh, that's just my personal opinion on what he did. You know, and I know what happens when these kinds of questions come up. You know, we're in the now, and so people kind of forget about it. In 20 years, everybody probably will think, you know, the current players, maybe it would be LeBron or somebody, and they kind of forget about, you know, the great player Michael Jordan was, except for, you know, with the clips and things. But, you know, obviously, you know, what Russell did was just amazing and how many changes. Listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? How to plant onions. Garden variety. Big time. As you would say, onion.
How you living, PhD? How you living, man? I'm oh, doing good, man. I I spent exactly 17 minutes putting together my brackets yesterday, and I feel real good about it. I have a few shockers, as always. I've grown a reputation of, of really having a long shot. And, yeah. And yeah. I haven't had a lot of success with it, I'll be honest. It's been a couple of years since I've had some really good success in my brackets, probably 2010. I got some good picks this year. I'm ready to share them. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.